everybody, and welcome to the Agnext podcast, where we're always excited to tell you about what's next from Agnext. I'm Jen Rieskamp. Most folks call me JR. I'm the head of strategy here at Agnext, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Pedro Carvalho. I'm an assistant professor here at CSU and Agnext team. Uh, happy 2024, JR. Happy New Year. It's very <laughs> exciting. So on today's episode of the podcast, we have Dr. Greg Toma, who is Agnext's direct- director of agricultural modeling and life cycle assessment. We're excited to talk to Greg today about what he's been up to um, since coming to um, Agnex in the last couple of years and also learn about his career. Thanks, uh, JR and Pedro. Great to be here and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Great. Awesome. So, Greg, we, we always start asking our guests to talk about their background, where they're from, uh, growing up, and, and then diving through the, your professional career. <coughs> like, where, where did you go to school? Why did you decide to go? Uh, the pathway that you took and how it led to come here and be at CSU today. Wow. <coughs> okay. Well, uh, Pedro, that is a that's a great question. I'll I'll try to give a, a quick overview of my my life and career and how I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was born in 1958 uh, and. Uh, Moved a little bit around, ended up in Arkansas about 1965 uh, in second grade. And uh, my dad was on the faculty in the chemistry department <clears throat> and went to high school uh, and then went to, to college at the University of Arkansas there in Fayetteville. I studied um, chemical engineering, which was, uh, I'll, <clears throat> when, I, when I started school, I was uh, an undecided major. Mm-hmm. And in the, at the end of the first semester, I went over to the College of Engineering because I decided I didn't want to follow exactly in my father's footsteps as uh-huh. a chemist. And uh, I was filling out the forms, and, and the, at, the, at the bottom it said, what, what's your major? And I uh, said to the secretary at the dean's office, well, I, I don't really know that much about engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just be undecided for a semester? <laughs> and she pulled her glasses down and looked at me and said, the dean would really like you to make a choice. So I checked chemical engineering. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that <clears throat> is the sum total of my uh, decision, uh, <laughs> the thought process. <laughs> In any case, it turned out to be a good, uh, a good choice. Uh, after my uh, undergraduate degree, I joined the Peace Corps. I spent two years in uh, Malaysia teaching high school chemistry uh, and, and biology. Uh, that was a, a really transformative experience and and leads directly to an answer uh, to your question of how I got into sort of my career path. Mm-hmm. So in the Peace Corps, uh, you know, you, you learn a lot of things uh, about yourself and about uh, uh, your culture and other cultures. And <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I became very interested in was um, quantum physics. So I was mm-hmm. reading a bunch of books about quantum physics, and I thought, just casually in oh, your yeah. free time. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I, you know, um, I, I really like this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like awesome. really fascinating. It kind of fits in with some of the Eastern religion uh, mm-hmm. ideas and thoughts. Yeah, right? sure. And so um, I thought, well, I could uh, either be a, a Buddhist monk or <laughs> a quantum physicist, and I'm pretty sure that I that I, that I I can't be a quantum physicist because I don't think I have quite the brain power for that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, okay, I could be a Buddhist monk or I could go to graduate school and, you know, do things for like in the medical field you mm-hmm. know, to help people mm-hmm. or, or sure. environmental. And I thought, all right, well, 
I'm going to be an environmental chemical engineer. So that okay. was sort of how I transitioned Started. from, you know, okay. crazy land, <laughs> if you will, into, uh, into, this, uh, into this broad field. And so I, I came back to the University of Arkansas for my master's degree. Uh, and I worked with, a, um, uh, now passed away, but uh, then very, very well-known uh, chemical engineer who was studying environmental problems. He was one of the leaders mm-hmm. in the field. And so I studied with him, and then I uh, subsequently uh, spent eight months in Japan as an intern, not as an intern, as a, as a cultural exchange student. Uh, came back to LSU where my master's advisor had moved, uh, and I did my PhD at LSU in environmental mm-hmm. chemical engineering. I got a job then at the University of Arkansas and did um, what we call fate and transport modeling. So we looked, I was in the oil and gas sector for Mm -hmm. the first uh, probably 10 or 12 years of my academic career. But I'd always, always had an interest in um, agriculture Mm -hmm. and my, my grandfather owns, uh, owned a farm. The family still owns a farm in Southwest Missouri for cattle and uh, Mm -hmm. grain production. And when I was in high school, we had two dairy cows, so I milked, milked two cows twice a day. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. In, so was that just for your family's consumption, the two dairy cows? Yes, we drank a gallon of milk each meal. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and interestingly... Did you by hand, or did you have a machine? Oh, by hand. Okay. I, was just, I wanted to clarify. This is hard work. I'd wanna get, I want to get the whole picture. There you go. <laughs> um. In fact, my my younger brother had a rock climbing accident and shattered his heel and shattered uh, his, uh, I think shattered his, uh, either either tibia or, or mm-hmm. femur. I can't remember for sure. Wow. Significant injury, though, either way. Significant injury. And the, the physician, the, the orthopedist, right, mm-hmm. who did the surgery, mm-hmm. when he was drilling the holes to put the, the plates in, he said, those are the hardest bones I have ever encountered. Listen, milk does a body good, they say, right? Indeed. <laughs> um, so you're milking cows when you lived at home. Yeah, then I, th- that was actually before my undergraduate degree. Okay, so I, I was trying to go back yeah, on the yeah, timeline sorry. here where we sorry. had. <laughs> so, uh, so then I, uh, I made, it, made it to the University of Arkansas, worked in the oil and gas sector for yep. probably 10 or 12 years, and... Um, uh, one day, uh, a colleague uh, said, hey, I'm doing a life cycle assessment on cotton. Would you like to help? And I said, absolutely. And about a year after that, we got a large contract with uh, Dairy Management Incorporated and did the mm-hmm. first, one of the first large-scale life cycle assessments in uh, U.S. Uh, ag sector. Wow. Uh, in 2000, uh, started in 2008 and you know, we th- we thought we could do an LCA in about a year. It took us two and a half. Oh wow! It turns out there are lots of details mm-hmm. in an LCA. So um, then we did like oh sorry. Baby. No, I was going to go back a little bit just because I'm curious. And and before we dive through LCA and everything, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's probably on your decision to come back to grad school. I'm, I'm it, it it. Do you think like were you exposed to research during? As an undergrad, or you knew about grad school, you knew that you want to become a professor, or was like was that inspired by your dad being a faculty? Like, 
and you've mentioned I this. I mean, it but beat I, out the Buddhist monks, so it's got to yeah. be significant. We want to know, Greg. Yeah, I, I'm always curious, like, because uh, there are a lot of students who, who listen to us, and and how how was I mean, you mentioned the decision to go back to grad school, but like, were you involved in research as an undergrad? Or uh, That's a good question. you you were familiar with the grad school process and becoming a professor? Like, did, were you familiar with that, or how how you got exposed to that because your family background or Anything else? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so most um, engineering graduates go into industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I had as a, a, a in, during my undergraduate uh, career, I had a summer internship with a, a company in Arkansas, and I realized that that wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, I don't I don't recall precisely the reasons, mm -hmm. you know, now, but I, I remember knowing quite clearly that I didn't want to pursue an industry career. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so it was it was sort of the the combination of being really tired of school. Mm hmm. And not wanting to follow a traditional engineer's path into mm -hmm. industry that led me to the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. So coming back from the Peace Corps, of course, I had to make a decision about what, what am I going, what am I going to do next? And I wasn't as um, burned out of school, mm -hmm. and so it seemed like a, a fairly easy path to to take to to go and get a master's degree. Plus, I knew the I, I was really. Um, interested in the environmental side of it and one of the leading environmental uh, chemical engineering faculty was at Arkansas at the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd taken his class as an undergraduate and um, so I got into his program and, and, and did my master's um, but to your specific question of did I do, did I do research as an undergraduate um, yes uh, but it wasn't sort of in my, in my field. My, <clears throat> my dad took a sabbatical to UCLA mm -hmm. and, uh, I went out for the summer and I did work in his lab. And, um, so I had my first scientific publication in 1978. That's oh, cool. wow. Amazing. I was a, I was a co-author of a, of a radio study to, to test for cell lysing. Right, that means a lot. Literally, to, to I have no idea what that means, but it sounds important. <laughs> it does, it sounds it so does, important. It does sound important. Uh, anyway, so so yeah, first first publication as an undergraduate. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't the first author, but uh, I did a bunch of the lab work. Well, and I think Greg, there's something cool here that I just want to tease out really quick for if we have any students that are listening. Is that you know you've you've made a couple of decisions in your life based on your internships and potentially, or there've been things that have come out of your internships that have really driven your career path. And so I think it's important right. for any students that are listening that if you do an internship and you don't like it, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's okay. If you discover what you don't like, you can still be successful moving forward and you can take those bits and pieces. But yeah, I just wanted to pull that out. That's I thought that was point. really cool. I think one of the sort of a corollary to that is <clears throat> we learn so much more from our failures than our successes. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Same idea. Same yeah. idea. So. And, and, and then deciding to go after then, I am assuming you went to a PhD knowing that you want to go back to academia. 
or not? Yes. And how did I get there? That's a good question. So after my master's degree, I took a job as a uh, with a, a civil engineering consulting firm. Okay. And um, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I learned some some things that I didn't know, right, because civil engineering is a little bit different. Um, and <clears throat> after about two years at, at that, I realized that it was, um, again, not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, it just was just didn't seem challenging, uh-huh. right? You know, the, the problems were, and it may have, you know, there's a whole host of reasons that that could have been, but at, at, at that time, and for me, it didn't seem challenging. And we thought, <clears throat> uh, my wife and I then, yeah, you know, my dad was a faculty member. It looked like a pretty, pretty decent life. Mm-hmm. And plus I'll get to take summers off and ride my bike all summer. <laughs> well, there you go. And, um, as it turns out, faculty don't take the summers off. <laughs> it's a funny misconception, isn't it? It yeah, is a funny misconception. Great. And so, um, in any case, so decided to go back to to get my doctorate at uh, LSU, also in chemical engineering, and working with the same uh, major professor that I had for my master's, who he had in the interim moved to LSU. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and I did uh, work on contaminated sediments and you know, the, the managing of contaminated sediments. And that led then to my first uh, faculty Is that position. like dumping sites or help me understand what that means when you yeah, say sediments? That's a great Conta- question. Contaminated sediments, is that what you yes, said? Yes, contaminated okay. sediments. Uh-huh. So before the Clean Water Act in 1960-something or another, mm-hmm. um, among others, the Hudson River caught on fire. Mm, yes, and um, why did the Hudson River catch on fire? Because water is, as we know, not flammable. <laughs> yeah, these are the questions that we would ask <laughs> in response to that. Uh, so it was polluted. Oh, I see. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the reason that it was polluted is because, uh, I'll bring in a story from my Malaysia days here to tie this together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So when I was in Malaysia, I was astounded at how many plastic bags were just dumped on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out why there was so much litter in, mm. in Malaysia. And this was in 1982 and three. Um, and then I'd, I'd go to the little shop across the street, get breakfast, and it was uh, a rice and a, a, a spicy fish dish wrapped mm-hmm. in a banana leaf with a, a little wooden skewer. Mm-hmm. And of course, if your packaging is banana leaves, and you throw it out into the ditch, right? No problem. So, mm-hmm. so we, we have this misconception that the earth can manage all of the waste that we dump onto it. And so mm-hmm. pre-1967, before you know, these regulations were put in place, industries didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't mm-hmm. intentionally being bad. Mm-hmm. They're just, sure. you know, you, like, this you, is what you, we dis- know. you discharge yeah. this stuff into the river, and the river takes it away, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, we discovered then, of course, that that was not... <coughs> really didn't quite didn't quite make it all it, the way through. Yeah. The, yeah. A good, not a good idea. And so what happens then is the Clean Water Act comes and they, mm-hmm. the 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 um, discharges stop almost immediately. Mm-hmm. But during all of that time, lots of hydrophobic chemicals had been you know dumped into the mm-hmm. these streams and they stick to the sediment and they sink. And so the water becomes clean really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Because you. You got fresh water coming through all the time and you're not discharging any longer. And so the sediment 
mm-hmm. having accumulated just like years and years of stuff. Yeah, comes now this a source mm, okay. of contamination, right? A continuing mm. source of contamination. So my uh, doctoral research was trying to figure out how do you manage oh. this, you know, new mm-hmm. and sort of unexpected source of contamination. Yep. And uh, so I did mathematical modeling and physical modeling in the laboratory. And um, one of the solutions that we looked at was just what we call capping it in place. So putting a sand layer on top of it to to slow the diffusion and basically help Mm -hmm. uh, keep them contained. Mm -hmm. The other thing you could think about doing was going in and dredging it up, right? Let's go. But that makes a huge cloud of, you know, Mm. contaminated sediment. Sure, sure. So, Greg, I'm curious to know, too, so was this kind of your first dipping your toe into life cycle assessment in your PhD? And can no. you tell us? A little, oh, it wasn't. No, okay. No. Okay. So you've been doing it up until that point. LC, no, I hadn't. I didn't even know how to spell LCA. Oh, you didn't. Okay. You hadn't time. done it. No. Okay. Because I was thinking about the, no, no. just the system of the inputs and the outputs, you know. So I guess that's, yeah, that's sort of the next question that I have for you about, um, you know, what interests you about sustainability in animal agriculture, but. I jumped a little quickly to the LCA question. So no, I, it's, it, I'm kind of curious he, though, because I feel started. like it's, yeah, I feel like we're on our, on the journey that way. So, we're, yeah. <laughs> so the thing is when you have had as long a time to do things as I have, the, it, it's a twisty, it's a twisty path. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my family has a, has a saying that we, we say life is a zigzag path. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, <clears throat> let's see. So, my, my doctoral work, right? Finished mm-hmm. that up, uh, took a job at Arkansas, continued that same vein of study, right? Yeah. Uh, a- and expanded a little bit into the uh, oil and gas sector, did some, did some work with uh, uh, restoration of uh, contaminated land in the tall grass prairie in eastern Oklahoma, a um, number of field studies and lab studies, and, mm-hmm. and then in... Uh, uh, around 2007, mm-hmm. uh, which is when uh, my colleague Marty Matlock had this cotton life cycle assessment. Oh, yes, right? that makes sense. Okay. And so uh, my, I had a, a cohort of graduate students, like seven, that oh. all graduated within a year. And oh, so wow. I was pretty much without graduate students. Uh, and I was at a point where I could sort of pivot my career. And so I pivoted mm-hmm. away from the oil and gas sector to agriculture. And right, as I had okay. said, right, I had... Because of the connection. Ca- cows and grandpa. Mm-hmm. And, right? Yes, uh, yes. Right, so, uh, and it and it just made, and, and Marty was a bio and ag engineer, right? So he had a, a focus on, mm-hmm. on agriculture. Of course, LCA can be used on, in any sector. It's mm-hmm. not It's not just in it's ag. It's not specific to ag, yeah. Um, but because because we had these opportunities, right, with the with the cotton project first, mm-hmm. and then with the dairy project that that led into quite a number of other uh, projects over the last fifteen years, um, and so then then probably one of your next questions is how did I get to act next? Uh, yes, that is. Do you want to ask Pedro? No, but I, I'm curious. Like, and then you you started with LCAs, and you did yeah, several LCAs. Are we like? Can you just briefly explain what is an LCA? It's, so, uh, it's probably complex, but just... No, uh, uh, <coughs> he so says no like it's not, but it really <laughs> is. <laughs> Sometimes it's embarrassingly simple to talk about LCAs. Mm-hmm. because So uh, I'll back up. 
when when I started my chemical engineering, right? So after I had the conversation with the dean's secretary, mm-hmm. right? So just check the box. This is what I'm doing with my life now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so so I uh, I go to my very first chemical engineering class, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the professor was named uh, uh, Chuck Thatcher. Um, and even then, he was a he was kind of abrasive, uh-huh. but nice. Uh-huh. And the first thing he wrote on the on the chalkboard for the class up in the upper left hand corner, he wrote "in equals out," okay. and he said, "If you can understand this equation, you can be a chemical engineer." And to your point, it's not simple. It's not, <laughs> qu- it's not quite that easy. <laughs> and so, life cycle assessment is basically right, keeping track of material and energy flows, which is the foundation, right, to the mm-hmm. point of N equals out. It's the foundation of the science of chemical engineering is mass and energy balances. And mm-hmm. life cycle assessment is mass and energy balances at scale, right? So instead mm-hmm. of doing a mass and energy balance on a reactor, we're doing a mass and energy balance on the economy. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so that's where the complexity comes in is because we're not talking about simple systems right even mm-hmm. a, a dairy farm or a beef farm yeah i was just going to say could simple. you walk us through maybe like a like a beef lca or a dairy lca so folks could kind of maybe understand the inputs and then what the outputs are could just be maybe helpful in a in a, high level of course but yeah in in lca we talk about foreground and background systems okay the foreground system for uh say let's say a dairy lca the foreground system would be the dairy itself Right? Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. the animal husbandry, the crop production, you know, milk production, milk management, right? Mm-hmm. That would be the foreground. And so all of the information that you need to collect about the foreground system would be things like the herd demographics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how many of which type animal. Then what does each of those animals consume? Mm-hmm. How much manure do they produce? How is the manure managed? And what are the emissions associated with a particular manure management system? What uh, is the, the the feed conversion, right, for the lactating animals? How many mm-hmm. how many pregnancies? How many mortalities, right? So you can imagine... It's a lot the, of data from the of, farm. A lot of data from the farm. And then you also have to answer the question, how was the crop produced? Where did the yeah. fertilizer come from, okay. right? Okay. Uh, and which fertilizer was it? Uh, how much was used? Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes all the way back in an LCA to, let's say that there's a, a refrigeration unit in the milking parlor. Okay. Yeah. So the LCA will go all the way back to the extraction of the coal or the natural gas, mm-hmm. transportation to the electric power station, right, where mm-hmm. it's burned and mm-hmm. turned into electrons that then go through the line and you keep track of the line losses, right? Mm -hmm. Until it gets to the refrigeration unit and then whatever, you know, efficiency Mm -hmm. is there and all of that stuff to cool the milk from the body temperature to the, to the the transportation temperature. And then, right. That's the, I don't know if I should say scope three yet, but (laughs) yeah. So those emissions get counted. And then if Mm -hmm. we're interested in a, in a full life cycle, right. We would say, okay, then it goes into a truck and it's transported to a yep. uh, processor where it's pasteurized yep. and, mm-hmm. re, you know, renormalized and 
everything else. So it's essentially anything that is required to produce whatever that product is from that farm all the way back. All the way back, yeah. And then do you go all the way to the consumer on the other end? So in in LCA, we talk about cradle to gate. Okay. Right? Or cradle to grave. Okay. And so the cradle to gate could stop anywhere along that process, right? So if, if we were interested in... Uh, milk that made it to a retail store, for example, okay. we could stop there. That or, could be potentially the end. And then if a grocery store wanted to do an LCA on products, they would start there, potentially. Or, um, not so I'm, co- asking, not, I'm not, asking really complicated no, questions. No, 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 no not, not quite. They wouldn't, they wouldn't start there, or unless starting there means that they would include everything that happened up until there, and then they'd look at everything that happened after. Okay. Which gets us to the cradle. I shouldn't have. Grave. Yeah, let's go back to what you were talking. I shouldn't have mentioned the grocery store yet. You go ahead. That's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, so the, so the cradle to gate can stop anywhere along the way. The okay. cradle to grave would go all the way through to the consumer, would include, you know, food loss and food waste at the consumption oh, level. You know, it, mm-hmm. it would in, even include uh, an accounting of at the, at the pasteurization plant, the loss of milk because they it it the, the proteins stick on the inside of the pipes and every oh, okay. every so day they loss. rinse it they mm-hmm. rinse it out with you know an, an acid wash to to clean the pipes for food safety purposes mm-hmm. wow. but there's a little bit of milk loss right so we try to account sure. even for that uh, level of milk loss and then little johnny might not eat all of the drink all of the milk in his cereal yep. and so you know so going back to, to those strong bones i'm yeah. just saying just you should be drinking that milk <laughs> yeah but anyway Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, and very complex. I, I know he's yeah. like, oh, it's so simple. We it's could so spend. Simple. I'm I'm curious. Like the first one was about cotton, and I was just thinking here, what else are the waste and thing? But let's not go in, into that. But, okay. <laughs> uh, so then y- you became, I would say, an expert in LCA. You started sixteen years ago. Kind of. I think we were talking about that yesterday, and then you built your. I don't know if it was the second half of your career or something like that, based on LCA. And you joined Agnex when about a year and a half, two years ago? Year and a half. Why why was why you take took that path? <coughs> when my daughter was looking for colleges, right? You mm-hmm. do the college shopping thing. Mm-hmm. And we came to CE Boulder. Um, and my son was in ninth grade at the time, right? Or maybe tenth, I don't remember very quiet boy and so we did all of this stuff right around seeing the seeing the sites and talking to people Mm -hmm. and we were at uh, one of the indian restaurants for dinner and there were i don't know eight or ten people there he never says stuff in public Mm -hmm. really and he speaks up sort of loudly oh he turns and looks at me and he said hey dad why exactly is it that we don't live here oh wow (laughs) okay so there's been a push to come to colorado for a while for some time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place to live, for sure. It is, and um, anyway, so it took it took a decade, but but we got here. But you made it. You made it. Well, and it uh, makes sense, right? This this position with CSU and yeah. your experience is a perfect dovetail, I think. And that and that's the other the other thing is that the you know had a, I had a good program at Arkansas. Um, I was uh, you know and and good good working colleagues. Mm-hmm. The difference is that it was sort of um, ad hoc. 
a bit at mm. Arkansas. Okay. And here at uh, Ag Next, it's a very intentional focus on mm-hmm. uh, sustainable uh, livestock production. Mm-hmm. And that was very appealing to me to, to become part of that and to, to have the colleagues right who are doing the experimental work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that can support the the modeling and life cycle um, impact assessments mm-hmm. because right the, the the adage is true right garbage in garbage out mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. having having high quality um, you know verified experimental studies that support the life cycle work is is really I don't know if it's completely unique to Agnext, but it's mm-hmm. sure. it's uncommon, yeah. Uh, and it's and it's not something that uh, w- was available at Arkansas. And so mm-hmm. having the the opportunity to participate in, you know, really a, a sort of kind of a, a breakthrough organization right, mm-hmm. was was pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. I think you're going to ask the projects that Greg has been involved. I just, we missed a very important oh, question. Oh, yeah. Back up. That's fine with me. One, and every, There's a lot of questions. every podcast, I, we all like to ask, what is your definition uh, of sustainability? Oh, yeah. I missed that one. If you have one. one. Yeah. <laughs> because you mentioned like working with sustainability in ag is one of the things that. Yeah. So the. <clears throat> I really almost always fall back to the Brundtland Commission definition from mm-hmm. 1987, mm-hmm. Uh, which I won't be able to provide a precise quote mm-hmm. of oh, that definition. Okay. But the the simple the simple definition is that sustainability means providing for ourselves while ensuring that our uh, children and grand and great-grandchildren are also able to provide for themselves with the same uh, level of ease, right? And so mm-hmm. so that's that's it in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a whole lot of, yeah. of, course. Uh, of unpacking that you can you can do around that in terms of sort of more more detailed uh, assessment of what what that what that constitutes. One other sort of uh, analogous, is the, you, you know, the company Seventh Generation, right? I, I feel like I've heard of it. Is it like, it's I don't know. The, the, pr- the principle is simple, right? We, we think about the consequences of our actions through the next seven generations. It's an American oh, Indian I um, see. Okay. Yep. paradigm, right? So, yeah, so this is, so the American Indians had, had sustainability sort of baked into their fundamental culture, mm-hmm. right? If, the, mm-hmm. if you're thinking always about how your actions today might affect the seventh generation, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what sustainability should be. Mm-hmm. That is such a broad definition, mm-hmm. however, right? That it, that it may not be uh, actionable in all cases, right? So, mm-hmm. so if a farmer is trying to decide, right, should I put in an anaerobic digester on my dairy or not, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's a question of sustainability, right? But, but that seventh generation idea is a, is a nice guiding principle, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, yeah, help you with the day to day decisions. Yeah, like the breaking have, it down and what does it mean in practice, and right. yeah, that's that's, cool. a, that's a great definition. Yeah, I like yeah, that. That's awesome. 
So we've talked a little bit about all of the projects that you've been working on here at Ag Next and how involved you are with life cycle assessment. But I'm kind of curious if you can tell our listeners and, you know, enlighten us a little too on why is it so important to, you know, conduct LCAs and how does that fold into sustainability in the bigger, broader sense? That's a really great question, JR. Thanks. Um, So the short, the short answer is that we manage what we measure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and life cycle assessment is a framework for quantifying, right? So measuring mm-hmm. uh, the, the things we call sustainable characteristics of production systems. Mm-hmm. So most of my work has focused on, on the environmental pillar of mm-hmm. uh, sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Two reasons for that. One, social uh, life cycle assessment is a is a still fairly early development, right? The mm-hmm. kinds of data mm-hmm. that are available to support social life cycle assessment are not always specific to an operation. For example, is the uh, you know amount of uh, health care and health insurance? I was going to say, right? I feel like some cities focus specifically on you know. Um, Infant death, infant mortality rates, or something like that, right? Yeah. In the social kind of category, yeah, right? I think I think when you put the social, there are more things involved in numbers. Uh, I, I, I don't and, know. And, and right, and so and so that's one of the challenges with social life cycle assessment, yeah. which mm-hmm. is which is a field, right? So yeah. there oh, are sure, people sure. that that are doing it, and so we're trying to put those quantitative numbers on it. But but you're right. At the end, there's a lot of uh, difficult to quantify things, and so mm-hmm. that makes that that part of it difficult. So I haven't been mm-hmm. very involved in the social life cycle assessment. The economics, most of the economics, right, in terms of the, the sustainability pillar of economics, also has fallen outside of my area because, mm-hmm. right, the, the, the businesses are in the business of, right, their own economic mm-hmm. structure and understanding and, right, so the... So, so we can do, there's a thing called life cycle costing, right? Which is oh, a, a, a way to incorporate uh, economic factors into an LCA. And the, the mathematics is identical, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it merges. But we've, we've my, my research group has sort of steered away from that, mostly because, you know, getting data, right, mm-hmm. on economics of production from, you know, to get data from a milk processor on, on all the details necessary to do a full mm-hmm. economic analysis, mm-hmm. it's difficult for them to, to share that, right? Because sure. it's very it's very business sensitive. No, it's, yeah. yeah, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the mm-hmm. same with the, the the livestock sector, right? There's a yeah. lot of economic data that's just difficult to get, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's very sensitive, and so sure. um, my focus has been on the environmental pillar. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to the question, how does it fit with sustainability, finally, right? Mm-hmm. The, the manage what you measure um, adage is, is important, relevant, because we can quantify carbon footprint, right? We can quantify energy footprint. Mm-hmm. We can quantify water footprint. We can even go a bit further with water, for example, and say, what well, we know that consumption of water, uh, one meter cubed of water in New Mexico is different than one meter cubed of water abstraction in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? And so we can even get a little bit more granular about how do our activities affect 
in a in a more local or regional mm-hmm. sp- space, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, so so being able to map out the baseline, right? Where mm-hmm. are we today? What's the benchmark? How are we performing today in these carbon and water footprint metrics? Um, enables us to imagine interventions that will reduce those impacts mm-hmm. and then to test in the future, right? Did those interventions, did those interventions reach the, uh, the, the target that we had hoped, right? And so mm-hmm. we, we see a lot of uh, companies saying, well, they, you know, going to re- reduce carbon emissions by X percent yeah. in, in X years, mm-hmm. right? And so the LCA is a, a tool, mm-hmm. right, that can help them assess their progress uh, and can be used perhaps as a what if, right? What if we mm-hmm. implement this technology? Or remove the technology or do yeah, Exactly, yeah. What if mm-hmm. we change the system? What is the likely outcome? And so you can do some uh, projections of, mm-hmm. right? What are, the, what are the potential pathways? And so that's the way that, that LCA fits into the, the sustain, sustainability mm-hmm. narrative. Um, yep. Going back to the, you asked me the definition, right? And we mm-hmm. said, well, this big broad definition. Yeah, so, sure. so LCA is part of the uh, toolkit, right? That can take us to narrower and narrower uh, decision support, right? Do I put mm-hmm. in that anaerobic digester, right? What, yeah. what will be the the benefit in these in these things? It, again, it doesn't look down seven generations necessarily, sure, but it gives us some way of quantifying what the costs and benefits to the environment will be. Mm-hmm. And broadly, right, we know that yeah. maintaining environmental quality is foundational, has to be foundational yeah. to sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing, right, sustainability is not something that's really mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. We know, right? Tell us more about what you mean by that. <laughs> it's not mysterious. It's not mysterious. It's We know, we know that uh, dumping plastic into the ocean is not sustainable. That's right? not, yeah, we, we don't have to. We don't have to measure it and quantify it. We know just not, just generally just bad. Generally, just generally don't, don't not do a good that. Idea. Right? It's not a good idea. Right? Mm-hmm. We we know that that in, you know putting toxins in the water is not a good idea. Right? Mm-hmm. We, sure. Th- these are not. We know that maintaining soil health is a good it's idea. It's optimal. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The LCA lets us quantify those things, right? Okay. So, so sustainability is not mysterious. We know a lot of really important and good things to do, and, right? Mm-hmm. And once you can quantify, it probably helps passing this message to the people that has to get. The yeah. Well, it goes back to what you're saying. You manage what you measure. So if exactly. you're not measuring it, then you're never quantifying it, or you, and you can't even begin to think about how to make some shifts that would yeah. have, you know, social, economic, or environmental impacts in your operation. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty cool, awesome. Any yeah. any more professional questions? No, I think we're ready to go on to the career one. Yeah, now we're we're going gonna to ask you some fun ones. <laughs> more 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 personal questions and life questions. Uh, so and I, it's pretty cool, Greg. It's been really fascinating to me listening a lot of things. I was taking notes and uh, and I I always re- it's one of my favorite questions actually uh, and. It's a good one. And we talk about your previous experience as an intern, like living in different countries and how that built your, I'm assuming it built your career today and and previous experience. So I always love this question is, if you could go back 10 years ago, what is something that you know today that you wish you knew 10 years ago that you could go back and and tell 
a little younger, Greg, or or maybe or maybe what is something that you know today that you wish you knew when you're finishing school, for example, or starting your professional career? So I'll start with that one. Okay. I wish I had known the importance of networking. Oh, okay. How come? Because I was not very good at it. And looking back, um, I could have been more successful more quickly if I had built a better, stronger, more robust network of, of colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I had the misconception that I could do it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I think, uh, a really important uh See collaborations or yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, I came across I can't recall now where some some young woman was doing a it was it was on a podcast somewhere and um she had the only the only thing I recall right mm-hmm. from the podcast was she had attended a workshop in Finland maybe mm-hmm. and the title of the workshop was collaboration is the new competition. Oh, interesting. I thought so. Hmm. I thought, wow. Okay. Excuse me. That, that is, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, it piqued my interest in, and it, and it's sort of to your point of building a, building a network, right. And, and finding collaborators, um, and, you know, finding, and, and one other, one other thing I guess that's important is make sure you get good collaborators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not only finding mm-hmm. collaborate and and if you f- if you bump into somebody who turns out to not be a good collaborator don't collaborate right mm-hmm. you know i mean somebody's feelings mm-hmm. may be hurt f- for a little bit but I- if it's not a good fit then it's yeah it's, it's usually harder to try to make it work than it is to yeah. just say hey the, we did we did this project and then kind of move on yeah yeah, yeah. No, i agree awesome good. so good Greg, I'm curious to know from you, you know, beyond the dean secretary who kind of <laughs> pushed you into making a decision, um, you know, she was influential in your life, but I wouldn't describe her as a mentor per se. Um, I'm curious to know how has mentorship influenced your career, you know, and then how do you also, you know, provide that for for young folks that are in the field? Maybe not young folks, but just professionals in general. I guess I was thinking of younger scholars and students that are kind of on the the beginning side of their careers. So I, I never had any f- formal mentors, mm-hmm. um, but as a as a you know early in my academic career, um, I was fortunate enough to to be part of. Uh, a consortium uh, of researchers, uh, I, and this was in the oil and gas, uh, oil and gas remediation. Uh, well, yeah, oil and gas remediation of oil and gas spills, right? Or mm-hmm. Oil and gas exploration and production accidents. Um, and so I had, you know, a number of uh, sort of senior colleagues that were, you know, had set it up and, and brought me in. And I learned quite a bit about you know how to how to think about research mm-hmm. problems and and how to how to um, sort of manage complex field studies and 
I guess then uh, another another key mentor would be one of my uh, doctoral advisors. I had three, um, one official and two ad hoc, mm-hmm. uh, and and one of them was a modeler, uh, and and he was very um, sort of influential in in helping me think about how to construct models and what what models are and how they mm-hmm. how they fit into the scheme of uh, right science so that the cliffs notes is that in in my worldview models are hypotheses mm-hmm. right and uh, mm-hmm. then experimental work is the observation and you you know so so you know, we might have a simple hypothesis. If I let go of these glasses, they'll fall, right? That's, sure. <laughs> that's an easy one to test. Yeah. Or we might have a really complex hypothesis, like what do we, what if we do this in the genetics of the beef on dairy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Or what so, if we add this, you know, feed additive for methane reduction in the system, right? There's all these all, all more complicated those. questions than, mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. So, and so thinking about modeling, right? And how do you, how do you manage that? And so that was a, that was an important mentoring uh, experience for me. Um, so my, my my mentoring has been also mostly, not entirely, but mostly um, sort of ad hoc in the same way. Okay. Um, except for uh, one one uh, person I'm on, a, they, they have at, uh, at uh, Tufts University, they have an official formal mentoring program for their mm-hmm. new faculty. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. This uh, uh, one assistant professor at, said, hey, would you be on my mentoring committee? And mm-hmm. so, right, so that's yep. that's the only one that I have sort of a really... Like a more formal yeah. kind of... Yeah. yeah. And so we meet, you know, between one and two times a year and, mm-hmm. you know, she'll she'll share her resume and what her, you know, what her current projects are and mm-hmm. we'll give her feedback on... Uh, you probably ought to drop those five things, <laughs> and, yeah. and and that's for sure something that he has done indirectly with <laughs> with me and other probably young folks. Like I remember. Well, I was going to say with all of the Agnex faculty, <laughs> I've seen it happen in meetings where he's like, "Are you really going to do that?" <laughs> like, but not in that way. But it's just like, yeah. you know, given the given your you know the focus organization of your position and like what you're focused on is this the best use of your energy and your time is kind of how you ask that question um and so i see it happening i don't know if maybe i think it's maybe just something that you do and so it just naturally comes but i do see you mentoring the ag next faculty as well yeah that's really cool um, it's because i have strong opinions (laughs) and we like those opinions too and and a lot of experience (laughs) that we will we will listen and you know, yes. so so you asked me if I, well, how was the question worded? Which one? The, the, oh, what is something I know today yeah. that I oh, wish the I ten knew? years ago question? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that and the easy answer to that is, I wish I knew everything <laughs> ten years ago that I know today. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be great. That would go away. Yeah, easier. yeah. Um, but I don't. I didn't. So. Uh, a specific example, right? Of of what I know today and what I didn't know when I started my LCA work. Mm-hmm. So when I started the LCA work, it was with the dairy sector. Mm-hmm. And so we, we sent out surveys. We got 500 surveys. The surveys took between um, six hours and six days. Oh, wow. For the respondents to complete. Wow. 
So, and it was like 25 pages of super detailed information. Mm -hmm. So we asked the question, um, how many calves are born each year? Mm -hmm. Which was the wrong question to ask. I was like, I don't know. How would you even begin to answer that? Anyway, well, <laughs> so I so so and and I was interested, of course, in what the manure emissions were for the for the herd. Yeah. And so I spent. I'm, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I spent six weeks, maybe not forty hours a week, but I spent six weeks of pretty significant effort trying to to figure out from the way the question was asked mm-hmm. the rolling herd average number of calves which is a different that's thing that's a different answer yeah interesting right? you, you kind of okay. remove a little bit that depends year by year and mm-hmm. that fluctuation and right and and so i i spent a long time trying to to reconstruct herd dynamics mm-hmm. right and for the purpose of trying to answer the question how much manure does a calf contribute to the farm mm-hmm. and at the end i found that the calves I, you know, I made some progress on this calculation. I found at the end that the calves contribute 0.01%. Okay. <laughs> and so I could have just ignored the calves from the <laughs> outset. And, and today, knowing that I wasted six weeks mm-hmm. of, of time and effort on a project on, a, on an inconsequential piece of it mm-hmm. is really valuable. Right, so yeah. now yes. I'm uh, much. Is that going back to that failure thing we were yeah. talking about earlier? Oh, yeah. <laughs> full circle. Full yes. circle. Full yes. circle. Yeah, you can learn a lot though from that kind of stuff. It's true. And and it's important. And, and it's great to pass that message because a lot of times mm-hmm. we we fail, we get disappointed. And it's natural, mm-hmm. but it's understanding how you're gonna overcome that and and build upon that. I think that's that's pretty important. It is. Yeah. Yeah. All Kay. right, so now we're cruising. Okay. We're, we're getting we ready to close. We're wrapping up here, but yes. we have a couple more questions for you, Greg. Yeah. Okay. So, Greg, uh, let's move on some wrap-up questions. And the first one is uh, you mentioned your three months biking, your plan to bike over the summer and everything. Can you just tell us a little bit about your passion about biking? So um, biking is uh, sort of my... My moment of Zen sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Because full circle uh, back to the Buddhist it, monk right? stuff. <laughs> Zen. So uh, w- when I when I ride alone, right, you can you can sort of really focus on just you know just moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you ride with a group, right, you you get really really kind of close packed, and you have to have a really uh, intense focus on just what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Just and biking. Just just biking, and just. You know, not crossing the wheel in front of you and and staying staying close and in the slipstream or whatever, right? Yeah. And and you know, managing the managing the the, the peloton. So it's just very um, just it's just a way to 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 not think about anything except this is what I'm doing. This is what mm-hmm. I'm doing it's right really, now, right here, yeah. very in the moment. Um, if I mess it up, I fail. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> So it does. It does carry some. It does carry some risk. Uh, so I always wear my brain bucket. Oh, brain bucket. That's good. Yeah, those are helpful. Yeah, That's awesome. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I'd like to, I like to. I I do like to ride. Um, and uh, I've I've recently gotten a gravel bike, so I'm gonna 
sort of explore a bit of okay. uh, gravel riding in, in addition to the road riding that I've been doing. And Get that brain bucket ready. <laughs> yeah, keep awesome. it handy. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Greg, thanks so much for being on the Agnex podcast today. Yeah, it's been awesome you. to have you as a guest, and yeah. I've learned a lot about your career, and I'm may, sure Pedro has too. Yeah. May I just ask a few oh, last yeah, questions? Yeah. Go for it. And that's probably going to be quick. We hope so. Uh, <laughs> what is what is a good book that you have read recently? <coughs> it's embarrassing. No. What is it? I, have, I haven't read a book in 20 years. Or okay. <laughs> I read I read scientific literature. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, that's you were, but you've been doing that, right? You're like, oh, yeah. I just decided to read about quantum physics, you know. Yeah. Well, that was. So I feel that was, you know. Well, yeah, for, forty years ago. Sure, but that was like your at the um, time that was your so, for fun so, reading. All right, so I guess I, 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 the 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 most recent book that I really enjoyed, um, actually several, um, Malcolm Gladwell's books mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on, uh, oh, I forget the title of it right now. Um, I have one that I haven't read called The Information. Um, there's another one. I can't remember the that, name of the book. That's it, okay. But it's about, it's about the the experts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating book. The Fiction? Uh, nonfiction? No, nonfiction. 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 Okay. Uh, and then the other two books were um, The World is Flat. Mm-hmm. Um Thomas Friedman wrote that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of Thomas Friedman's other books uh, was really was really interesting. Um, there's a few books that I'd like to read, mm-hmm. but I don't remember the titles off the top of my head. Sorry. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> you no can problem. cut that part too. And oh, yeah. No worries. Before you wrap up, Jared. So, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, what is your favorite place to visit? the world and what is your favorite food yeah those two <laughs> those are usually what we asked favorite food favorite food favorite food my wife's chana masala Ooh. second favorite food is chicken tikka masala okay <laughs> next is uh, vegetable biryani <laughs> And then red curry from Thailand. I, I see a theme here. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's amazing. Uh, that's also your favorite place? <laughs> yeah, favorite, that's a, yeah, yeah, favorite wow. place you've Favorite been to. place to visit. Mm-hmm. There's nothing easy about that question. Well, you've been to a lot of places. Yeah. I've been to a lot of places. You travel a lot. So, so probably Nepal. Mm-hmm. Right? Probably Nepal. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a... We have. I'm on the board of directors of a nonprofit that funds uh, young young uh, children to attend English language school in Nepal. Oh, and so cool. every two or three years, right, some of the board uh, will go to Nepal to visit the, mm-hmm. the schools and and meet the children and their families. And and that's a uh, that's that's always a, a great uh, a great trip. And besides, right, there's. Big mountains there that uh, yeah. I was going to say you went to base. You went to Everest Base Camp once too, right? I didn't make it to base camp. You got, got you were on your way though. I got COVID. Oh around. shoot! Really? Yeah, but yeah. you were you were on the track, right? I was you, on the track. Do yeah. you plan to go back? Do you want to try to do it again? You think? Yeah. Try to make it yeah. COVID free. <laughs> try to do it COVID free. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Good. 
Okay, great. Yeah, no problem. So awesome. Well, Greg, thanks so much for being with us today on the podcast. Um, we've learned a ton about your career and I've learned a lot about LCA. Me too. Yeah, it's been <laughs> awesome. So thanks so much. And for our listeners that have joined us for the Agnex podcast, thanks for tuning in. We always appreciate that. Um, if you would also like to follow along on social media, uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Something exciting coming up from the podcast is that we're actually going to um, ask you, our listeners, what would you like to hear from our faculty? Um, yep. And so keep an eye out for those polls on social media um, and we'll, we'll provide you with really good content coming forward. If you have any suggestions or comments about the podcast, um, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at agnext at colostate.edu um, and we'll get you an answer as soon as we can. So thanks again for tuning in to the Agnext podcast where we're always excited to tell you about what's next from Agnext. Agnext.